This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. Today, I'm joined by Christian De La Huerta. Man, just in the opening conversation, from what he has gone through to where he's at today, man, I think you're going to take a lot of encouragement from this because the whole idea, like Christian's book that he's written, the first of the books that he's, that he's going to write as well, Awakening the Soul of Power, and then with the the perspective of it being heroic, right? How we can be heroic, man, the whole journey and where he's at. I hope it really encourages you to step out from wherever you're at onto what's available to you and what you can obtain. So with that, Christian, how are you doing today, my friend? Hey, Mike, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I've been looking forward to our conversation. That's my pleasure. And I appreciate you joining me. So with that, can we start out, where are things for you in life today on the business side of things? Yeah, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for about a little bit over 30 years. And of course, as I've been doing retreats and workshops all over the world. um, And then what happened, you know, then we all know what happened. And I had to shift my my income came to a screeching halt um, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't able to do a live event. And so like many of us, I had to pivot and create what I've known I've had to do for years. That would be a good thing if I was going to reach people who may never come to a live weekend retreat. So I've been creating uh, virtual um, online programming and really and really seeing the value of that. Because what I've noticed, uh, Mike, is that people would come sometimes to a weekend retreat and they'd have this great experience and expansion, a different way of looking at themselves. And in some number of them, if they didn't have a practice when they got back home or a support system or an accountability system, um, it's not hard to get sucked back into the day-to-day and the many, many distractions of life. And if we're not mindful, uh, those old voices of fear and self-doubt and the self-defeating beliefs and thinking and the self-sabotaging behaviors sneak up again, and then they start dragging dragging them down. And, and, and so what I'm loving about this year long is I get to stretch out the teachings um, over the course of a year, deliver it bite-sized, just a little bit at a time. I know how busy everybody is, and but with a couple of key uh, elements that I'm not able to do on a weekend. So interactivity, practices that, are, that, are, that come with the content, every week and and nothing hard, but designed to integrate and apply the teachings to our lives so that they don't stay at the level of information. We don't need any more information. We've got information overload. What we need is transformation. And that only comes when we really take on and apply those teachings and integrate them into our lives. So that, and then accountability, you know, coaching calls with me every other week to keep us doing what we said we were going to do so that I can so that I can ensure that transformation will happen and that people will have the the kind of lives and the kind of relationships that they dream of having. Now, you had mentioned like you're speaking, you're going all over, right? And so when COVID hits, everything shuts down and you said like income gone. I've got (laughs) other friends that it was like, okay, I'm a speaker and there is no speaking. (laughs) In the midst of that, you know, you're talking about like how, you know, fear and, and old beliefs come creeping in. How did you protect yourself? How did you, you know, ensure that you stayed in a healthier place when all that, and I mean, it came quick. How do you, you know, respond and you're like, nope, I'm in a strong place. I'm, I'm solidified. How did you go about that? That is such a good question. I've done so many, so dozens of these podcasts, and nobody has asked me that yet. And 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 I'm actually really grateful 
for the for the experience for me without minimizing the you know the incredible cost human and financial and in terms of the economy and so much loss of life because of the pandemic for me personally it, it's proven to be a blessing because i went like you know from a hundred thousand miles on an airplane annually to nothing and so it it forced it forced me to sit my butt down and finish this book for one thing that i've been kind of brewing inside of my head for 10 years and it forced me to create this this virtual programming which i've known for years i needed to do and 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 then the third thing that i'm really grateful for to your question is that even when my income came to a screeching halt and it's been 2 years i mean this month 2 years ago is the last retreat that i've done the last live retreat not once, Mike, I'm not exaggerating, not once did I go into fear or doubt. Um, and and it's, it's, you know, it's the, it's the culmination of a lot of work that I've done over the last 30 years in that particular area of trusting um, and, and trusting in the financial arena. But like I was finally able to see that, yeah, I'm pretty established there. Like I knew that it was going to work out. There's not a moment of doubt, not a moment of fear. I love about that you've just shared there is that it's like this habit, this lifestyle that you've created over time. And it's created like just this insulating life around you that you could weather something like that. You know, so often we'll hear, yeah, just create your routines. And, you know, there's a, there's not really that belief in it, but you, what you've just shared solidify is that you know it's how you live out your day-to-day that's going to help you weather that storm and that was one heck of a storm <laughs> it was a big one it was a big one and it wasn't like you know like i had a huge cushion to tide me over i don't um but even even then it's like it just allowed me to see how trusting how i have attained this level of trust in relationship to life um, and I've no, I know the alternative. I've, I've been in fear of, of, you know, many, many times of, am I going to make, the, am I going to make, you know, the the bills at the end of the month? I know what that feels like. Um, but through, and and I share this type of process. I share my journey in the book so that I know that if if it's possible for me, I know that it's possible for others. You know, the same thing is like I know self doubt. I know self-hatred. My entire adolescence was one long depression with suicidal fantasies. And flash forward today, like no matter what happens, no matter the details or the circumstances of my life, whether a relationship works out or it doesn't, a project succeeds or it fails in quotes, never, ever, Mike, do I question my, my self-worth. Um, it's, it's again, that too is established and, and it's unshakable. And and I share the process of that too in the book, so that I know if it can happen in me, it can happen in in anybody who's willing to read it and willing to do the the practices that are connected um, to the book. Guarantee it. Guarantee the 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 results. Yeah, and I think that's been a struggle for a lot of guys, especially with the change that we've gone through, both with COVID and then what you saw within you know like corporate America, right? People just resigning um, is that going through that our identity is tied to to our position and what we've done and what you've just you know communicated here is your worth your identity is not com- connected to that that it's unshakable that you know it without a doubt and you know like you said whether a project you know doesn't turn out the way you'd expect or not you are still you and i'd really love as we talk to see how you went you know, from the 10 year old, we're going to get into to where you're now like rock solid in your identity um, for who Christian is, because that's not something a lot of people have. Um, I'm going to sidestep and go back to, uh, can you tell us where you are today on a personal side of things? What does life look like for you there? Do you mean geographically or, or just like, so we talked about the business side of things. Oh, I see what you're saying. What does it look like for you as far as, you know, on the personal, like when you leave work, when you're like, I'm not teaching, I'm not, I'm not speaking virtually who's Christian. What do you get to do that just lights a fire in you that gets you excited? Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. I appreciate you're asking that. And, you know, and I often ask myself that, you know, what would I do if I won 
a big lotto. And I guess first thing would be like, I need to start buying a ticket. Um, but, you know, Mike, I always land on the same thing. I'd be doing exactly what I do. I would be doing it differently. I'd be doing it on a much bigger scale, you know, able to 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 hire more of a team to support what I'm doing, to to promote the work so that I can reach more people and make a difference in their lives. But I, but it's what fulfills me. It's it's for me. It's a mission. It's not. It's not a job. It's not. It's my mission. It's like a soul level work, soul level mission that I've been doing. I've been working for myself for thirty years doing this. Um, so, and it's exactly what I would be doing. It's it's what gives me the most meaning. Also, in terms of my personal life, the reason I, I thought you were asking me geographically is because since the end of October of last year, twenty twenty one, I've been nomadic. Um, I had to. I've been in. I've been in Miami, renting a, a big house over there in Coconut Grove, which is a beautiful part of Miami. Um, but again, that the reason I had a big house was to do events and workshops, and and it just didn't make any sense. I knew the the landlord was going to increase my rent by half, so it's going to be considerable, like fifty percent increase in rent, yeah. because the real estate in Miami is just crazy because of all the COVID um, exiles moving to South Florida, mm-hmm. um, and so it's just gotten really competitive, and it just didn't make any sense, like. It's. It, I'm feeling optimistic that I'll be able to have live events maybe towards you know the summer, the end of the fall, but I don't. We don't really know yet if there's gonna another variant gonna show up. Let's hope not. Let's hope that we really have reached um, in this, the end of the tunnel um, with this pandemic. But you know, if it, if I'm doing live events, I can be anywhere. I just need good Wi-Fi. So I spent two months in Ecuador in Quito, which is a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, I'm going to go back in April for another couple of months. Um, right now I'm in California, in Northern California, where I also lived for, for a long time, for 20 years. I'm here. Um, and, you know, I'll always have a base in Miami. And I'm in and out of Miami. That's where my family is. And in a good place. I'm in a good place with, with it all. Thank you. Yeah. And I'd love to join you in Ecuador, man. <laughs> but oh that's a conversation a, for another time. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's got so much to offer. I didn't know. You can be in the Amazon. You can be in the high Andes. You can go, you know, see a volcano. They have a whole coastal with beaches and the amazing sushi. Um, and on a, you get on a, on a one hour flight and you're in the Galapagos, which is part of Ecuador. It's just, and it's so much a natural beauty. I, that I didn't know. I've been There's to Peru so before, but never Ecuador. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. What was that, Christian? No, that's okay. No, I think we just, yeah, the, the little time-lapsed thing. Um, I've been to Peru. I've taken groups to Peru before, but I'd never been to Ecuador, and I'm really impressed. It's a beautiful country. It's a do- dollar economy, which is really interesting. The A lot of people speak English there. In fact, it's, it's a dollar economy. Like you don't have to get an exchange, any money that you can survive with a dollar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, and the thing is, it's like you, you're not in an environment where you're acclimated to it. It's an adventure and it's a beautiful, just a beautiful place. Like, I mean, you've already described it now. I'm just jealous, but <laughs> <laughs> it's not my time to go, but I I'm Yeah. It, it's definitely something I'll be going there. So well, good. come visit us. You know, as long as I'm there, you can come visit. I just don't know how long I'm going to be there. <laughs> well, cool. I, I appreciate that. Well, man, if we can, Christian, can we jump back like um, about the time, like when you uh, immigrated from, from Cuba, you were 10 years old. Can you take us back to that and kind of what some of the challenges that you were facing at that time? Yeah, you know, it's like sometimes I say that I've came here this lifetime to learn what it feels like to be other, to to be different, to to not belong to the mainstream. So when we were kids in Cuba, the minute you applied for a to for for a visa to to leave uh, the country, you were labeled worm, gusano. That's what they call you. And mm. and I mean, I and. I remember being a kid. I must have been third grade, second grade, and the teachers would actually call us gusanos. Like, and my sister and I, that before they got a wind of it, we were always we were always at the top of the class. But as soon and get the awards for, for you know best students. But as soon as they got wind that we were leaving, never again did we get an award, and we wouldn't even get cookies at break. 
Um, so it was really an interesting thing because as a kid, you don't really understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then we came to the States and we lived in, in Georgia, in the uh, central Georgia for about three years while my father, um, who was a psychiatrist, got his licensing, was able to practice here. Um, and, and I didn't speak a word of English. So again, you know, stuck out like a sore thumb. Three years later, you know, having learned English and mastered the Southern accent and um, felt like. I belonged. <laughs> and, and then, you know, because we, we like kids, you know, I denied my Latin, my Latino heritage because in that desperate need to belong at that point in my life. And then we pick up and we move to, to Miami where I went to a high school that was like 95% Cuban American. So then I stuck out all over again because now I sound like a Georgia peach. Um, and not to mention the deeper um, fear, you know, my deeper secret that hadn't told anybody at that point in my life. But even at that young age, I knew, I knew that I was gay. Um, and so trying to reconcile, you know, the religion in which I was raised, which was the Catholic religion, which told me that I was going to burn in hell for eternity, trying to reconcile that with who I, who I was, who I am. Um, that's the reason my adolescence was one long depression. Um, but, you know, Mike, I'm, I don't regret any of it. I'm actually grateful for that. Because of what you're saying, because of what you're pointing to, that in my having survived that, in my have, having overcome that self-hatred um, and, and fear um, and feeling different, feeling like, feeling like there was something wrong with me, it's like I know what that feels like and I know how to help somebody heal that because we all have a variation of it. It's just that I had to deal with it at a younger age than most of us, you know, deal with those existential questions. Who am I and what am I here for? What is life about? I had to figure this out at, at an early age. So I'm grateful for that because I know that I've, I have helped and will continue to help um, many, many people to come to that level of self-acceptance, which makes possible self-love um, and to find meaning and purpose, their own meaning and purpose, and, and to have a sense of personal empowerment um, and to have relationships that actually have a chance of working. Um that's what my work is about. And that's, and I, and I do it from experience. It's like, I know, I know how to help somebody to get to those points. And I, I'm, I'm sitting here and just going, standing out, standing out, standing out. I mean, it's like, I see this common thread when, before you left Cuba, did you feel like you fit in or was that kind of even one at, you know, nine, 10 years old, you're still feeling different like oh my god no it felt so different we were, i mean you can, we grew up feeling like 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 we were called worms so we knew we didn't we didn't belong we knew that something off and we didn't like my, our parents my parents were involved in the counter-revolution so they were actually worked with you know cia people trying to um reverse the communist revolution in cuba but we didn't you know as kids we didn't know what was going on um, but we kind of felt it, you know, through osmosis, we felt it's like it's it's hard for somebody who lives in the, in the U.S. In, in a, at least a relative democracy um, to know, to, to understand what it feels to live in a, in a totalitarian autocratic regime like a like a communist country or something like that. It's there's so many things that we take for granted. Um, you know, in terms of our rights, our freedoms, like we don't really know what it is like to live in fear. Most of us don't. Uh, to live in fear and and you know it's like your parents they could come and there's they could they could be taken away and nobody the state doesn't owe you any explanation it's gone and that nobody owes you like that's it it's like there's so many things again that we take for granted here like even you know in terms of the economy like what's chewing gum to us here in 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 the states or in, in the western world, it's nothing. Like you stick a stick a stick of gum and you spit it out without ever having a thought about it. Listen to this: when we were kids, and we were you know we're like one of nine kids, so we're a large family. Um, and because and we had it better than most because we had my parents had friends who lived, who worked in foreign embassies, so maybe twice a year we'd get a pack of their little chiclets. I don't know if you remember their little box of chiclets. Yeah, but we you know spread it between the kids, divide it between the kids, and then chew it all day. At the end of the day, we get a glass of water, or maybe that much water, put toothpaste in it, stir it, and then put our gum in it, so it'd be minting the next day. 
and hide it from my mom because if my mom decided she'd throw it out. <laughs> and sometimes we got that, we kept that going for like, you know, two weeks, three weeks at a time until she found out and threw it out. Um, but it, it begins to give, give us a frame of reference of what it's like to live in some of these countries. Yeah. You can only pull off stuff so long before mom finds out, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, take, take me through to, to like where, cause you're, I mean, you're talking 10, then another three years in, in Georgia, you're talking another three years in um, Miami. Like how how did you continue going through that time? You're talking about not feeling like you're fitting in. How did you transition to where you did feel like you fit in? Like, how did you, you're in a different place today. I mean, like we talked about, you're rock solid in who you are. Yeah. How did you get from, you know, adapting to where you are moving, then adapting to that and then moving again? Like, how did you become Christian unadapted if that makes sense yeah that's a great question um you know obviously a lot of work a lot of looking inside um which is you know that's why i write that's why this book is part of you know of a series called calling all heroes because it takes work right it takes work to look to be to be willing and to have the courage to look inside of ourselves and to face our inner demons and you know our fears our self-doubts uh, but for me, again, it was a question of survival. Like I, I had to do it or if, if, you know, if I wasn't going to you know, take my life. So I, I had to ask those really difficult existential questions. Um, and, you know, it was a journey for sure. I went through my 20s. Yeah, you know, focused on my personal growth and my professional development. By the end, by the end of my 20s, I started to you know, my life was very enviable. I had a nice, comfortable, very flexible job. Uh, you know, lived in South Florida at the time, lived right on the condo, right on the water, had a great tan in those days. Um, I was sought after socially, professionally. And yet it seemed to me that the more that I had and the more that I was sought after, that like, there's got to be more life than this. Uh, like there was something missing. And, and what I realized was missing is that in the same way that I had tried that I had tried to run away from and reject a whole part of who I was concerning my sexuality, that I was trying to do the same thing with my spirituality, like a, a whole other part of who I am, of who we are as humans. And so I realized that, of course, there was missing, something missing, like the huge part of who I was. So I began to explore that part again. And to explore, you know, mystical teachings of, of the West, some of the traditions of the East, indigenous beliefs and, and traditions, and began to reconnect with that part of myself and with something greater than myself. And that was the major shift, you know, the, to, towards being able to feel whole, to reclaim all these parts of my rejected humanity and to weave them into a sense of coherent sense of who I am. And, and now, now I had practices. Now I had meditation. Now I had breath work, um, you know, which I was able to weave in and to combine with what a stuff that I had learned in psychology <clears throat> in college. So blending some of my psychological training with transformational East, uh, spiritual teachings from the East, from Buddhism and Hinduism. And, and so I wove this, this understanding um, that, you know, was, I was able to free myself from all the self-doubt and the self-hatred and converted to morph that into self-empowerment and self-acceptance and self-love. So you came to the realization, hey, this isn't, this isn't a line, right? When you were in your 20s, how long did it take to get from that like eye-opening experience to where you felt like, hey, I have a better grasp of who I am? I mean, not to where you are today, but to where you're like, I'm solid. I'm consistent. I have an identity that I'm secure with. How long did that journey take you? I think it was an incremental thing through my twenties. And, and definitely when I discovered, when I reclaimed my spirituality and began to, mm -hmm. to weave that back in, that was the major, the next major step in, in that self-acceptance. And, and, and feeling reconnected, not only with myself in deeper levels, but with others and with life, with something greater than myself, call it spirit, call it God, call it whatever you want to call it, the universe. 
um, I began to understand and to experience that connection in a much deeper way. Uh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned breath work. Um, what what does that entail? And like, what are the benefits of it? Like, if for somebody that may not know what breath work is, can you give like a high level explanation and why that was something that helped you out? Yeah, and I can also refer them to a, what my TEDx talk, which is called "The Power of the Breath," and you know, mm. get a lot more in there um, or from that. Um, and, and breathwork is kind of an umbrella term. There's a lot of different breathing techniques and breathing modalities that you know. You, there's practices that are that are for relaxation, for for peace of mind. There are other practices that are for like to increase focus, become energized, so that you can reach for those instead of the cup of coffee and, and let after lunch slump. There's um, an option other than caffeine. <laughs> Wait a minute, Kristen. Come on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The, the breath of fire from yoga is like really energizing. Like that's not something you want to do bedtime because it really um, energizes you. Um, and and there are a few of those. Um, but yeah. Uh, so so the breath work that that I was referencing, it's 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 a more intense practice. You, you breathe in a particular way for about an hour, an hour and a half. Some techniques you even go longer for three, four hours. But the one that the one that I that I was trained in that I've been offering as part of my retreats and my workshops for 30 years are incredibly powerful. And and the first time I ever did it. It's like I had been on a on a track to get a PhD in psychology. After one session, I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD because it works so fast and heals so profoundly in so many levels. Not only I don't know anything more effective um, in terms of healing past trauma and some of the emotional stuff that most of us have had to deal with. Um, and I'm talking serious stuff. You know, I got to work with people um, with s- serious trauma. Um, you know, rape, sexual abuse, the violent victims of violent um, crimes, and this breathing techniques, it heals it. And I know it sounds too good to be true. I, when, even when I hear those words coming out of my mouth 30 years later, I know that sounds too good to be true. Because in addition to the healing that it does, it heals physically even. And, and it can provide some of the most ecstatic uh, spiritual experiences, for lack of another word, of, of feeling at one with all of creation um, and interconnected with life in ways that we've read about. But one thing is reading about another one is feeling it and, and exper- experiencing it. Um, but you know why? I can't argue with the results. It works and it works fast. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. Are are you like in working with people virtually um, at this time, are you seeing a difference in people's breathing two years after having been through COVID? Is there like a a difference in how you're seeing people um, breathing or not breathing compared to pre-COVID? That's a really good question, uh, Mike. You're asking some questions that nobody else has asked me before. I'm not doing like large groups like I used to do before COVID. I'm not doing them virtually yet yeah. um, because it's a really powerful experience and, and it can be very cathartic. And people can sometimes relive or remember traumatic stuff from, from their past, which is good. That's what we want uh, so that they can clear it. But it's good to have a safe container. Like in a live event, I don't hesitate because I know how to intervene. I know how to, how to support. I know how to take care of. Um, but with a group of strangers, 
virtually somebody clicks off, I have no idea what happened. I don't know what what's going on with them. So I don't, I don't feel that I can ensure the safe that psychological safety. Now I have done it with people that I've worked with, people who have attended my retreats, people who maybe are referred by a psychotherapist, so that I know they have a support system if if it were necessary. Uh, so I've, I've done it selectively, um, but have I noticed a, a difference? I have. I don't know, Mike. I haven't not enough, not enough experience, I guess, with now compared to yeah. before, because it's, it's not safe. Like you talked about, you know, because if, if you're doing that with me and I just hit an uncomfortable point, I could disconnect. And then you're not able to help pull me out of where I've gotten myself into. Exactly. Right? I'm, exactly. I'm in unguided territory. Yeah. In, in a live event, I have zero hesitation. Like I know, and I, and, and I know how to support somebody. I know how to create that, that supportive environment in a safe environment, virtually over zoom, it's like, it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, so There's in some cases I feel I like I can, and with somebody, I don't know, like a complete stranger. I don't know what's you're right. I don't know what's lying under the surface of their psyche. So I don't feel safe. Doing yeah. that and idea. I hadn't considered that, like w- what you're talking about. It was like, Oh yeah, somebody can disconnect. And then you're, you know, you're left wondering how they are. And so, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, so I know for myself, like when I started going through, um, you know, like the healing process and getting coaching and counseling and um, uncovering stuff, there was, there were things like I had protected myself from that had gone on in my childhood. And my biggest fear was okay, if I start working towards healing, I'm going to uncover what's in Pandora's box. And unfortunately it is a box and it's a security yeah. to me. What do you tell men that it's like, you know, they're, they're afraid of what they're going to unpack and, and recall, you know, how do you get them through that, that hurdle of fear of the unknown? Um, yeah. Like pre COVID, obviously, you know, because you, you had the chance to guide them through that, but what would you what would you tell somebody to encourage them through that? Yeah, and that's another great question. It's like, like there's something about having the 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 mind is has a filter. You know, the, the ego. One of the functions of the ego mind is to filter, um, and and so one of the ways in which it's very efficient, if if there's something in the subconscious that we're not ready to deal with, whether it's in a memory or whether it's a suppressed emotion, it's not going to come up. Um, until that mind feels safe enough. Um, so that's something that, that I can tell people, you know, that for sure. If, you're, if there's something you're not ready to look at, it's not going to come up until you're ready to look at. The other thing that's also very helpful to remember is that when fear comes up, whether it's in this healing process or others, it's not current day fear. Right. It's, mean, it's fear from a different time in our lives. And it doesn't, it feels, I mean, in the moment it, you can't differentiate between the two, but it's just old stuff, fear from a time in our lives where maybe we were five or 10 or who knows, but we didn't have the sense of self. We didn't have the support systems, the knowledge, the wisdom, um, the, 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 the skills that we have now to navigate that stuff. It's just old stuff that's coming up to be cleared and to be integrated and to be healed. Um, you know, yeah. And in the moment that may not be necessarily helpful because you just, you're like reliving it, but in the beginning, it makes us more open to it. And, and, and that's what I mean, that it's, it's a heroic process to, to, to go through life, you know, just unaware, um, and numbing ourselves out in, in all the ways that we numb out to not to run away from our emotions and to run away from our unhealed past, you know, whether, whether it's, it's through substances, drugs, alcohol, whether it's sex, whether it's, you know, social media, whether it's gaming, whether it's, uh, you know, working too much or exercising too much, those are all or eating too much food, you know, those, those are all the ways that we medicate ourselves to not feel, but we know those are not effective because all that stuff that we're trying to run away from and suppress, it's not going to go away. It's, it just doesn't go away. What used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy. Now we know from quantum physics that it's true. Everything is energy. That means this chair that I'm sitting on my body, the computer, my emotions, it's all energy. And we know from physics, energy cannot be destroyed. 
It can only change forms. So all those times that we have stuffed our emotions because we were afraid of, of not rocking, of rocking the boat too much or causing conflict. We've been conditioned to fear confrontation and to run away from conflict. Um, and especially as men, we've been conditioned. Little boys don't cry. Well, what is that? You know, because only little girls do. But wait a minute, so many faulty assumptions there. A, that the feminine is weakness. It's like, wait a minute. Really? Like you want to talk resilience? You want to talk courage? You want to talk strength? Let's talk about the power of creation that lies in a female body. Um, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but but here's a funny way to look at it. And I was reading not long ago that um, Betty White, who left us not too long ago, um, was being interviewed. Um, and it was one of those, you know, interviews where they have two or three celebrities and somebody said something about having balls. And she goes, wait a minute, where do we get this connection between having balls and strength and courage? You thump those little things and the guy collapses and bends over in pain. You want to, you want to talk courage and strength? Let's talk vaginas. Those things take a pounding. <laughs> yeah, um, there's, after, after having seen my children born, I was like, okay, you win. <laughs> nope, I'm not made for that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. There's no, a resiliency. I. I mean, and, and the amazing thing is it's like taken to an extreme. Yeah, they're unhealthy. But when you bring them together, there's a harmony, there's a unity when it's when it's a healthy environment. And um, I mean, it just encourages growth at spirals like, you know, exactly, you know, because I'm in a healthy place and I'm a I'm I'm whole, like I can receive stuff from my wife that I wouldn't have before. And the the opposite is true. She is also grown in ways that wouldn't have been available to her before because of my insecurities and, and the fear of how I would react. And so what, what becomes available when we're in alignment, when we're in unison is just amazing. And I mean, we, we rob ourselves, um, you know, when, when we do take it to that other level, Um, absolutely right we've we've gotten confused and we think that vulnerability is weakness and so then as as guys we walk around like you know these uncaring unfeeling robots because to feel is weakness is like wait a minute like emotions are neither good not bad they're not strength they're not weakness they're energies how we express them depending on how we express them they have a good or a bad effect but that's part of the problem because we're suppressing all of our emotions that stuff doesn't go away that we we keep adding to it it starts building and building and we walk around with layers and layers and layers of repressed emotional crap and then the next unfortunate one says something to us the wrong way and boof volcano right volcanic eruption causing harm to our relationships or that energy has to come out one way or the other. And what happens is it starts showing up and seeping out as physical symptoms, heart attacks, cancer, ulcers. So no wonder, you know, men, I mean, women outlive men by five years in, in the U.S. and seven years globally because those, those suppressed emotions, it's a price to pay. It's a price to pay for that. And no wonder, too, that the rate of suicide. It's in, in the U.S., I don't have the numbers globally for that, but in the U.S., men commit suicide four times as frequently. And, and 70% of the suicides in the U.S. are committed by middle-aged white men, which still hold the majority of the power. Like, inarguably, they hold the majority of the power in this world. Well, and so you would think, well, what's up with that? You know, wouldn't you think that the group that holds the most power would have the, the you know, live the longest and have, be the happiest? But no. And I think that's part of the problem is that we're restricting this huge parts of what of of human of being human, mm-hmm. and that we've got this twisted and limited perception and definition of what it means to be a man. Yeah, and if you look like it, look at it like you talked about um, suicide being more prevalent, you know, and you compare women to men, men are taking that extreme decision, you know, and they're like, it's not worth it. I'm going to end it. But if you look at like the the percentage of men versus women in talking about depression, the ladies are talking about it more than the men are. Yes. And so the emotions are still there. We're not expressing them, but they still exist. And it gets to a point, unfortunately, where 
we just feel overwhelmed and there's no other option to take. And that's, that's such a fallacy. It's a lie. It's a lie. Yeah, exactly. You know, if we get the help, we're willing to work through it. It's not an easy road, but it's a worthwhile road because there are other options available. If we're willing to say, yes, Hey, I need help. Exactly. And that's heroic. It's the opposite of weakness to, to learn, to discover what we're feeling. Because if you would have asked me 30 years, 30, 30 years ago what I was feeling, I had no idea. Even with a psychiatrist father who also had no idea about what he was feeling personally. Like he was great with others, but with himself and his own emotions, clueless. And so I grew up the same way. Um, and, you know, but, but we can learn this stuff. And in fact, we have to learn this stuff because otherwise it's like, yeah, to what happens, here's the emotions being energy. If, if they're not expressed, they get stuck. So if we don't express rage and we stuff rage and we stuff some more, it, it kind of congeals, it freezes and it turns into, I mean, if we, if we don't express anger, it congeals and it turns into rage. And then we walk around like raging cauldrons causing harm to all of our relationships. Um, or if we don't express, if we don't give voice to sadness, to grief, it turns into depression. And, and that's what you're talking about. That's where we get to those places of where we just lose perspective. Um, and so to have the courage um, to, to, to look within and to ask the questions, why, why, what's going on with me? Why am I feeling this? Where's this coming from? What are my triggers? What are my patterns in relationship? What does it sometimes feel like I'm recreating the same old boring relationship? It might be a different actor, a different co-lead, but it's the same boring movie. Like same arguments, same old crap. So at some point we have to get honest and look inside of ourselves and say, well, the only one common denominator in every one of those relationships and in every one of those arguments is right here. What am I going to do about that? Right. And so it's a heroic journey to, to face down our, our, our self-doubt and our fears and our demons. It's, it's the opposite of weakness to, to, know, to learn how to feel and to communicate those feelings responsibly uh, and courageously and owning our part in it rather than just pointing the finger and blaming the others or a system or something. It's, it's nothing short of heroic um, and, and the stuff of mastery, the opposite of weakness. Well, and. We're in a season of life, wherever we are, whether we're at 10, 20, you know, 60, wherever we are in that spectrum, it's a season. And so the challenges that we face at this time are setting us up for the ones, you know, for the, for the life coming down, down the road. Yeah. So for me, the thing that brought, it was a rude awakening. Let's put it that way was in looking at it. Okay. I'm training my children how to handle this stuff. They're then going to train my grandchildren. Yes. You know, and it's like, I inherited a generational legacy in, you know, unhealthy emotions and behavior. Do I want to be the one that continues that on and leaves that legacy, that, that heritage for them? And it's like, no way. Okay. Well, somebody along the way has to, doesn't (laughs) have to, but if it's going to change someone has the opportunity to take the responsibility and make the decision to start the hard work, to put in the effort and, and start a different pattern and uh, break those chains, you know, to bring about the chain of healthy emotions and mental, you know, like processing and mindset. And it's like, otherwise, you know, what, what we've experienced is what will pass along. And that's in no way what any of us intend but it's unfortunately like the blind, <laughs> the blind thing that we gift. And it's not always a gift. It's a curse, but you know, <laughs> but it's what we do is we just pass it along. So, and, uh, so true, Mike. So, so true. What you just said. And, and then again, it's a, another layer of being heroic, right? Because what, what you're, what you what you did is you said, that's it. I'm, I'm not passing this stuff that was passed on from generation to generation to generation because their parents did it this way. And then their parents before them did it that way. Um, it's like, and you said, huh? Uh, it stops here. There is no way that I'm passing this on. You broke that DNA chain. And that is nothing but heroic. And you also point to the rewards because, yeah, it takes work. 
Yes, it takes courage to go within and to and to feel that stuff that we've sometimes or to remember stuff that sometimes we've spent a lifetime running away from and to not think or feel or remember. But the rewards are inc- indescribable, like in one word, freedom, right? So that we can choose what we think, who, how, what we're feeling, who we are, rather than, than, than being governed by stuff that happened when we were kids that sometimes we're not even aware of, and that it's still having an impact on all of our relationships and the quality of our life. So it's, it's such worthwhile and nothing short of heroic, and the rewards are infinite. They are. And yesterday, for example, I took the afternoon off and played Legos with my five-year-old grandson. That opportunity would never have been there if I had continued being who I was. Yeah. And to have that memory, one, for myself, but two, for him to have that experience, I'm like, there is no value that you can place on it. So the work that was done, yeah. I mean, it's it's caused a ripple effect. My children, my grandchildren are able to experience life as they wouldn't have been before. And my wife is able to become who she was meant to be. Um, because, you know, when, when we as men take the time and put in the effort to heal ourselves, we create space for other things to grow and heal as well. Um, but it's making that decision to step out and do it. And, it, it just, it has ripple effects and the rewards, man, I can't even describe it. And I've not experienced it fully yet, even at this time in my life, because wow. I know there's other stuff still to come. Wow. And you know what I love about what you just said is that, because <clears throat> I write a book, there's a chapter in this book that's exactly about what you're talking about. It's like, what does it mean to, to, to be a man in the 21st century? Um, because as you were talking about earlier, not only because of the pandemic, but because of all the outsourcing of the last few decades and because of the women's empowerment, like 50% of college graduates today are women. Um, And I don't have the most recent numbers that I was able to find was for 2017, but in 2017, um, it was approaching 40% of heterosexual households in which the woman was out earning her, her spouse, her partner, uh, so no wonder a lot of men are being thrown into crisis of identities. Like, who am I? Because we've been so limited in the expression of, of masculinity and what it means to be a man. So are we really going to define? Because And so one of those, like, one of those archetypes or stereotypes um, that we have always played is, is the provider, right? That's, that's one of the things that so many men have identified with. We are the providers, but now that's shifting. So if, if I'm not the provider, then who am I? And what does it mean to be a man? And what I love about the example that you just gave is because part of what I did in that, in that chapter is redefine and expand those traditional roles that men have played. Because we're not, of course, we're, ta- we're not talking about becoming wimps um, or, or sacrificing the, the, the good qualities of what it means to be a man. Um, you know, the, the strength, the courage, the, the, the accountability, um, and, and the one that you're talking about. Because you, what you did is you expanded what it means to be a man and that provider role. And what about providing what you're talking about? That safe container that by being the rock in your household so that your loved ones, your spouse, your, 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 your kids, your grandchildren, they have that rock and that foundation on which they can stand and then leap from that and fulfill their own unique potential. That is so much more important and so much more a, a, a critical contribution to the household at the size of your paycheck. Well, and that's priceless what you're talking about. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I would love to say I've only taken them up. Truth is, Christian, like I can look back now and see that when we went into hard times, I was the one leading the way because I wasn't, I was having you know, emotional issues. I was having identity issues. And so what I was experiencing, I communicated unconsciously. I wasn't aware of what I was doing, but I was leading them much like, you know, uh, uh, the lead goose in a, you know, migration or, you know, (laughs) a, a duck, you know, kind of that, that whole thing. I was leading the way, not realizing 
Um, and I sure as heck didn't step into the responsibility of the role, but, uh, man, it's like friends, family, we have impact on all those relationships around us. Um, if only we start with ourselves, because while we're looking to change things around us, it's honestly us that needs to be changed. So Christian, you and I could continue to go on and just talk and, and go about this. And I, I want to be, you know, very mindful of our time here. Um, thank you, my friend for joining me and sharing about what you've gone through and what you've experienced, how you changed and became rock solid. Like you are now the heroic journey that you've gone through. Um, how can people reach out to you, my friend? They can, you know, the book, um, they can find wherever books are sold. They can order it at their local, um, uh, bookstore or they can get it on Amazon. Um, and, and, it, and it talks about how do we step into power in a way that's not about hierarchy, fear, control, domination, manipulation. How do we step into power in a way that doesn't have to, to that we don't have to push anybody down, step on them in order for us to feel powerful. How do we do that in a different way? Um, and in terms of reaching me, probably my, my website, soulfulpower.com, the best way. Then they can access my social media from there. And for your audience, Mike, anybody who goes to soulfulpower.com and gets on my email list, and we all know how easy it is to click unsubscribe if it doesn't work for you down the road. But just by virtue of doing that, we'll send them a sam- sample chapter, and it's the one that talks about what it means to live heroically in the 21st century, which I think it'll be inspirational uh, for your audience. Um, we'll send them some of the power practices that we were talking about before that that integrate those teachings into our lives, and um, a recorded teaching and guided meditation on how we move more into trust in these chaotic times of fear and, and uncertainty. Very cool. Thank you so much for that. Well, my friend, again, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. So thank you, Christian. Thank you, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on the show. You're right. You and I would not run out of stuff to talk about. And I love the the back and forth. And um, it's just a very natural conversation. So thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for having the show. Um, I know that because you were willing to do that, many lives are being uh, touched and supported and impacted. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.